0: So instead of doing a normal sermon, what we're going to do is we're going to, my brother Matt and I are going to have a discussion, a Bible discussion about the kingdom of God and we'd like you to join us. Come along with us as we discuss this whole kingdom of God business. Feel free to move if you want more shade, if you want more sun, if you want to be able to see us better, if you'd prefer not to see us as well. Um... Feel free to move around.
1: Glasses on or glasses off? Is it creepy to have glasses on? If the
0: glasses are off, I'm going to be going like this, which is okay. creepier. Is that creepier?
1: OK. Shades.
0: So Matt, give us a one minute, who is Matt Johnson?
1: Uh, Matt Johnson is the brother of Nate Johnstone. Don't ask. It's my wife, Rebecca, is over here, my beautiful wife, the greatest woman in the world. Um, I have my son Joshua is three. Caleb is 16 months. Uh, we are from here originally in Minnesota. We now live in Washington, D.C. I work for the federal government, um, which is why we want to talk about the kingdom of God, because that's important when you work for the government. You should know a lot about the kingdom. Um, and we are here um, for a vacation, and we wanted to come. I had my 20th high school reunion last night. What? Whoa. So what
0: you're saying is you're old now.
1: Yes. It was good, though. It was a good time. That's yeah. old. Cool.
0: <laughs> a few weeks, a couple hundred weeks. Mm-hmm. So Matt, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. It's like my favorite topic. It is a kind of a big topic. Why talk about it?
1: Well, several reasons. One, it was Jesus's main message. If you read through the Gospels, you will notice that he is talking almost exclusively about the kingdom of God. So if that is the main message that our Savior proclaimed while he was on the earth, it's probably a really good idea to understand at least a little bit of what he meant by that phrase.
0: That is reasonable. Um, so what is it?
1: So I'm actually not going to give you a definition, because definitions are actually, can you all hear me? Is there, OK. Um, definitions are actually very hard when it comes to the kingdom of God. But let me give you a general framework, and then we're going to talk about it. So,
0: the thing that jesus talked the most about you can't even tell me what it is
1: yep that's right Uh, i can give you some glimpses i can give you some analogies and i can give you some pointers uh, but i cannot fully capture all that the kingdom is because the kingdom of god broadly speaking a good way to think of it is the rule and the reign of god on both heaven and earth okay but that's really broad
0: so the kingdom has a king
1: Kingdom has a king. And where
0: the king rules is the kingdom. Yes. And it's his domain. Not too bad. Okay. All right. I'm with you. So a little bit of backdrop of the time frame when Jesus was on the earth. Uh, This idea of the kingdom of God was something that was talked about all the time by Jewish scholars of the day. Correct? Correct. So, and they called it multiple things. They called it kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the age to come. Those are like synonyms. They all mean kind of the same thing. Or even eternity and eternal life is talking about the same thing. So age, age to come, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they all kind of mean the same thing. And prior to Jesus, maybe a couple hundred years prior, Jesus walks into the scene where the main theological discussion for the last couple centuries has been, when is the kingdom of God starting? What is it going to look like? And we, we enter into what is called apocalyptic literature, Um, And that's the stage that Jesus is at when he comes on earth. An apocalyptic, define apocalyptic literature.
1: Also very difficult to define. It is a type of literature uh, roughly from 200 BC to 100 AD. It was very popular in what's sometimes called either Second Temple Judaism or intertestamental period. This was writings because at this period of time in the Jewish history, they believed that the spirit was not present in Israel. They don't believe there's any prophetic voices at this time. So what happens is you get two main movements. The scribal tradition, which is the Pharisees, they were like, well, at least we can follow the law. And the apocalyptics came along and started writing either visions or dreams, which are basically descriptions of the prophetic promises in Isaiah and Ezekiel of what the future is going to look like when God's reign is over all of creation.
0: So they were looking forward to the kingdom of God, yes. looking forward to the son of God, the Messiah, bringing that kingdom yes. into place. Is that what you would say? Yes, true. So a lot of people were talking about the kingdom of God at the time. Jesus was not new in talking about the kingdom of God, but he was completely new, unique and bizarre, yes. according to the people who were there, because he said the kingdom of God is upon you. It is at hand. It is here. The kingdom of God has started through me. No one had ever said that. No one had ever claimed that and not been stoned within five seconds. Um, and so that was very strange, very unique, and very different. So Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, which was a common discussion, but he kind of set everybody straight on what the kingdom of God was like, what it wasn't like, and um, he... We, we got a Hulk toy. That's good. by the way. And Jesus said, I am... The kingdom, basically. The kingdom of God is upon you. And this was not what was expected.
1: That's right. Right? That's right. So at this point, everybody is expecting the kingdom of God to come at the end of normal history. So if the kingdom of God was going to come, because they separated time into two big categories, the present age, which is post-fall of Adam all the way to the present, and then the age to come, also sometimes called the kingdom of God. And they believed that the age to come was going to crash in radically, end the present age of sin and death, and God would come, rule and reign, through his, sometimes through his Messiah, sometimes just by himself, and then the reign of God would come on the earth, normal history would end, there would be global Eden all over. So, in other words, this present age, the age of man, the
0: age of sin, whatever you want to call it, yep. stinks. Right. They all agreed on that point. And when Messiah came, it would instantly change and the new age would start. That's right. Messiah would come and everything would be great. He would reinstitute the, all the temple worship. The throne of David would be reestablished. Um, bad guys would be slaughtered. Good guys would be exalted and rewarded. And everything's awesome. So they looked at the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, as immediate, abrupt, and altogether in their opinion, fantastic, and so then Jesus came and he said, "No, the kingdom of God has already come; it's here now." And they're like, "What?"
1: That's why they keep asking for signs and evidence. They're like, "They're prove like, it. what do you? If the kingdom is here, why is the why are the Romans still over us? Like, it's what do you mean?" It looks is pretty here? bad to me. <laughs> yeah.
0: it looks pretty bad to me. So you're saying the kingdom is here, but I don't prove it. Prove it. Prove it. They're always asking him that. And he does. How, what are the two main ways he proves it? Anybody? Miracles, specifically healings, yes. And what's the other one? I can't hear. Authority, authority yes. Specifically authority over the enemy. Casting out of demons. Those are the two primary things. He's always casting out. Read, read Mark, the whole Gospel of Mark, in one sitting. Like, sit down, cup of coffee, Mark. Takes two hours or so. And at the end, you'll be like, wow. All Jesus did the whole time he was here was cast out demons and heal people. And he gave a couple sermons here and there. And then he died. And he came back. Because like, that's basically all he did. He proved the kingdom of God was here in everything that he did by particularly casting out demons, which is taking authority over the enemy. Because, again, the understanding at the time was that in this present age, the age of man is ruled not by God but by the enemy, the devil, okay? God is the ruler of the universe. He created everything. Then he created the earth, and he gave authority over the earth, dominion over the earth, whatever word you want to use, to humans, okay? At the time, there were only two of us, Adam and Eve, and so he gave authority over creation to Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve messed up, and through their sin, the devil had an opportunity to usurp our authority over creation. And so the devil now runs things. According to the New Testament, he is the ruler of this present age, the ruler of this present darkness, the prince of the power of the air. The devil is in charge of stuff here. That's why it sucks here. Seriously, this is, this is all Jews' understanding in the first century. The reason this place stinks so bad and people die and little kids get diseases, that is because the devil's in charge and he's terrible at his job. Actually, he's great at his job, but his job is to kill us. Because he hates us, okay? And so Jesus comes in with the understanding that, yes, the devil is in charge, but I'm going to beat him because I'm better than him and I have authority. And so when Jesus walked in and he said, devil, you leave, and they listened to him, people were like, what? What? And they, they couldn't acknowledge the fact that he was the Messiah because that would mean the kingdom of God had come. And so instead they said, he's casting out devils through the power of the devil. Remember that passage? Luke 11 Um, And Jesus says, first of all, that's not a thing. Because if the devil casts out himself, then he's going to have a pretty crappy kingdom. Okay? Kingdom divided against itself can't stand, he says. So that's not what's happening. What's happening is, I'm taking authority over the enemy, and you're afraid to admit it. Because if you admit it, you have to admit that the kingdom of God is upon you. And that means things. It means you have to respond. And people don't like it. That's why even today, people can see a miracle and go, nope. I don't believe it. A guy's arm just grew back. You watched it happen. Nope. It's a trick. Trick, trick, trick. And people don't believe it, right? They can see a miracle happen. They won't believe it. Because if they believe it, that means there's a miracle worker. And that means I have to respond to that in some way. Because if God is real, then I need to do things about that. And people don't want to admit that. And so they deny miracles. And people in Jesus' day denied the miracles. But the Pharisees had a real hard time denying the casting out of demons, in particular. They didn't know what to do with that. It bothered them.
1: Yeah, and that's in Matthew 12, uh, 27 through 30, if you remember. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if by the Spirit of God I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In power, right there. Yep. So, So...
0: Proof that the kingdom of God had come was that was the driving out of demons, and that's why Jesus, in Mark and in other places, tells the church, "Go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the the lepers, cast out demons." Casting out demons was something Jesus commanded the church to do, and in the early days they did it a lot. Nowadays, because we know a lot about science and demons are really unpopular and all that kind of stuff, a lot of Christians shy away. I don't even know if I believe that. No. We just downplay that. But if we want to see the kingdom of God come, if we want to see people set free, if we want to see people get closer to God, come back to the Lord, if we want the prodigals to come home, if we want people to be healed, then that means the kingdom of God needs to come in a greater way. That's what revival is. More of the kingdom of God than we have now. And if we want to see that, then there's going to be some of the messy stuff. Like evil spirits. Steve, Harris, Um, yes the devil is not equivalent to God at all it's like the difference between a human and a picture of an ant that a kid drew like you can't get more different than God and the devil he is so far beyond so far more powerful it's not even funny but God gave authority to us we gave that authority over to the devil so the devil has that authority here And so Jesus came to take back that authority. And so we live in this age, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, where we are incrementally taking back the ground that the enemy has conquered. So the... the uh, Um, there, There are times in which that analogy works. Overall, I'd say no. Because when you say Satan's God's puppet, then people will say... So when bad things happen, that's actually kind of God's will, which I don't think is true at all. But sometimes he, sometimes he allows the devil to do stuff. He's working on it. No, Satan doesn't have enough power to kill everybody today. Um, he's doing his best. <laughs> and, and when you look at the news, if you make the mistake of watching the news once, um, you're like, the devil's doing a pretty good job. It's hard to watch the news and not be like, I understand what Jesus meant when he said, the devil's the ruler of this present darkness. This present age is darkness. The devil rules it. I have come to bring light. John says Jesus is the light of the world. So the light dispels the darkness. And our job is to be the light of the world for Jesus and to dispel that darkness everywhere we go. Um, I'm going to give the Normandy analogy. My my favorite analogy is this. Um, When the Allied forces in World War II took Normandy Beach. That was essentially the end of the war for all practical purposes. We now had two million boots on the ground in France. Germany had no, no chance. But they didn't give up. And there was a lot of fighting and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of dying and a lot, a lot of pain between Normandy and the end of the war. And so Jesus... Coming into the world, in the Gospels, is like taking Normandy Beach. It was the beginning of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God started. You can think of it like a seed. Again, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God always like. The kingdom of God is like this. It's like that. It's like that. He never flat out says what the kingdom is because it's too big for us to understand. It's too hard to understand what the kingdom is. But a lot of his analogies are agricultural, right? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's tiny. It starts out little. It looks insignificant, but it grows, and it grows bigger. And over time, it takes over the whole garden. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom's like. So the kingdom comes incrementally. And Jesus began it at Normandy Beach by saying, I am claiming this territory now. And then Jesus says, okay, army, it's your job to walk out the rest of the victory." The beachhead is claimed. The kingdom of God is here. But the kingdom of God isn't expressed over there yet. It's expressed here, but not there. So it's come, but it isn't felt everywhere. And so it's our job to then take the kingdom and push it out and defeat the darkness everywhere we go. The devil's defeated and he knows it, but he's not given up. And there's a lot of examples of this in war, like in the Civil War, like um, regiments after the war was over, wouldn't give up. They wouldn't put down their arms. And they'd go around and find salt and salt the earth so no one could put crops in there. And they'd just destroy and cause as much chaos as they possibly could before people came and forced them to stop doing that, which usually involved a bullet. That happens all the time in war. And that's our present age. The devil has lost and he knows it. But he won't give up because he hates us and he hates God so bad. So we have to go around and force him to stop it. Does that make sense? So that's what the kingdom of
1: God is. Yeah, and it's, it's helpful to think of that the kingdom of God coming through Jesus was an invasion of the kingdom of darkness. Right. And it's really to reclaim this world because right. this world is God's world. It's illegally occupied by the enemy. Now God is launching a project called the kingdom of God to take back what is his. Exactly. And it started in his life, his death, resurrection, and ascension, and now we are continuing taking back creation, for the kingdom of God. Now, we don't do it through physical violence. We don't do it the way that first century Jewish people were expecting it to come, which meant we're going to wipe out the Romans and physically destroy everyone. Jesus clearly rejects all forms of physical violence in the Gospels. And in fact, you can read the Gospels as most of it, his great temptations were really to fulfill current expectations that the Jewish people had for what a Messiah was going to be, i.e., physically, be a human ruler that was going to destroy the Romans. And he continually said, no, I'm not doing that. Right. That's not how the kingdom of God is actually going to come.
0: Right. And so the, the Jews had that part wrong, and the church has gotten that part wrong since a lot of times. The Crusades, holy wars, religious wars, the idea that the kingdom of God means an earthly kingdom run by Christians. Okay? There are those in America who get this wrong too. The idea that the kingdom of God equals America, right. which is totally untrue. The kingdom of God isn't an earthly kingdom. It's something different than that that doesn't mean earthly kingdoms can't express functions or aspects of the kingdom of god but the kingdom of god isn't that and so the devil has tried to pervert it and and there's been you know hundreds of thousands of people murdered in the name of the kingdom of god and that's not the kingdom of god that was the kingdom of your little german town killing the kingdom of that little french town and that is sad and pathetic it's not the expansion of the kingdom of god the kingdom of god isn't expanded through physical violence and that's it's a huge huge point Because people have got this wrong for 2,000 years, even more than 2,000 years. And when Paul says, um, our war is not with flesh and blood, okay? Our war is not with flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers of this present darkness. We fight against the devil and the darkness. We don't fight against people. And so Muslims, let's just take a modern example that is a hot-button issue, Muslims are not our enemies. And we need to get this through our heads, folks. Muslims are not our enemies. Islam is an enemy. Islam is part of the kingdom of darkness. Muslims are victims. They're prisoners of war. They've been captured by the enemy. Our job is to save them. Our job is to rescue those people. They're not our enemies. Now, they may have been brainwashed into acting like enemies, right? And we need to be aware of that. But they are not our enemies. They, they're, they're blinded. They're brainwashed. They're in a fog. They're under a spell. Whatever metaphor you want to use, okay? The devil is our enemy. The darkness is our enemy, not people. And so, you know, we have several hundred thousand Muslims now in the Twin Cities as of the last two decades. And there are some Christians who are talking about how terrible this is. Oh, it's so terrible. All these bad guys here now. And I'm like, no, this is the grace of God. Because God took all those people out of a system in a country where they never would have heard the gospel and they put them in the middle of Minnesota there's Christians everywhere you can't throw a rock without hitting one okay and so why do you think God took those people from a place they would never hear the gospel and put them in the middle of the most hospitable Christian place I can think of not so that we can go enemies, so that we can go yeah future brothers and sisters Let's love them. Let's win them over. Okay? That's why they're here. They're here to get saved. It's a revival that God has brought to us, and it's like the greatest gift I can think of. Literally every tongue, tribe, and nation lives right here. Every one of them. So, I mean, there's so many missionaries in town. They just don't know it yet. Because they're still prisoners of war. And it's our job to claim the kingdom by taking them back. Putting a raid against the enemy forces and Taking the prisoners free. That's why Jesus came to set the captives free. Right? That's what he proclaimed when he said the kingdom of God has come to set the captives free. And so it's our job now to actually walk that out and to actually do it. But for some, sometimes we have to change our mindset. These, these folks aren't enemies. They're the ones we're here for. They're the ones we were sent to rescue. Good, spread it around to your other Christian friends. Because I feel, like, I feel like we as the church in the Twin Cities aren't doing a good job right now. I'm just going to be honest, okay? We're not welcoming with open arms. We're not loving. We're not helping. We're not saying, wow, this must be really different from you. It's freezing here most of the year. How do, you, how do you do that? What's that like for you? You come from like a desert place. and Like, we should be, we are the nicest people I know. So why aren't we being the nicest people I know? To all of them. Because they look different, they smell different, they sound scary. We're worried they're going to shoot us. Most of them are here because they were trying to escape being shot at, by the way. That's why they're here. Paul. And that's why Sven Axel's testimony is so encouraging, that there are thousands and multiplied thousands of Muslims coming to faith in countries in East Africa and other places. It's yep. happening. And it is, it's happening in Uganda, too. And the efforts we're doing in, in South Uganda with Pastor Dawson, that is advancing the kingdom of God there in a different way in direct opposition to Islam. But the Muslims there aren't Dawson's enemies. He employs them. He feeds their children. 60% are Muslim in his school. Yeah, most of the kids in his school are Muslim. And that is the kingdom of God. That is expanding the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. And so I would love all of us, and us as a church to think and pray about what should we be doing in the Twin Cities with all these refugees. We've been praying for them for years. When I run into them at Target, I talk to them, unless it's a woman by herself with her kids, because that's problematic, which is unfortunate, but it's true. Um, and what should we be doing as individuals? What should we be doing as families? What should we be doing as a church? We, we should be doing more. I know that much. So the question is just what? Ian? Yeah. And so we get so excited about, you know, the growth of our church, and what we're in here, but if we're not lighting up the world, we're not doing anything, It's all it Exactly. I agree. John. <laughs> Great question. Yeah. Free, free Scotland.
1: Yeah, this is a good. I think this is a good segue to uh, to an analogy I have. Um, yeah. Yeah. For the kingdom of God. One way to think of it is. This is that,
0: I think this is a good a good way. And this really helped me good. to think about the, the kingdom of God and our role in it.
1: So we talk about the kingdom of God being already but not yet. Yep. It came in Jesus, but it's not here in its fullness. So it's here present, but the fullness of the kingdom won't be here until the return of jesus and
0: pause over the history of the church most denominations great leaders have fallen on one side or the other of that they look around and they say jesus came but the kingdom isn't here yet and the problem with that is that sort of lets me off the hook for anything the kingdom will come when jesus comes yeah this world stinks whatever come quickly lord but i don't have to do anything in the meantime that's wrong other people other people really hit the the kingdom of god has come aspect which I like because we are supposed to be involved in that, but then they can take that to an extreme too and say, our job is to make the kingdom come so completely that Jesus is like, well, I guess I might as well come back because everything's awesome. Which I think is too far. That's an error on the other side. The reality is both. That's why I like Lutheran theology. Because they said, is the kingdom of God come or has it not? Is it yet to come? And Luther said, yes. And they said, no, no, no. You have to pick one of these. Has the kingdom come or is it yet to come? And he said, Yes. And they didn't like him for that, but I did, because the answer is both. The kingdom yeah. of God has come, but it is also yet, yet to, to come. come. And, and we live in that weird, confusing time in between where it's both and. And
1: that was what, that's, that's the unique thing. This will actually help you if you're, if you're in dialogue with, with Jewish friends. This already not yet concept, that is a big, still a big stumbling block yes. for Jewish people, because they were still expecting it to come immediately, Boom. Not kingdom of God. this overlapping period where the present age is still here, but the kingdom of God has broken in, but it's growing slowly. That was not expected. It was not expected in the first century either. Um, but the analogy that I have used, and, and by the way, if you just look at the scriptures um, in, in the gospels and you just write out the verses that talk about the kingdom, you will notice that they either talk about the future or Jesus is saying they're being fulfilled in the present. So they're already, but they're not yet. So there's a present aspect and a future aspect. It's both and. Um, But the analogy that I've used is the American electoral system. So in a sense, Jesus was elected president of the cosmos. He ran against every force and power, and everybody else lost. Uh, Nobody believed it until the resurrection. That's when the election was actually certified that, oh, yep, he actually did. Nope, he was really, yep, he really uh, is president of the cosmos. So, just like in the American system, pre- new presidents are elected in November. But there is a transition period from November to January 19th, where before the new administration actually comes into power. So, during that transition period, obviously I came up with this analogy because I'm in DC now, but uh, <laughs> during that transition period, the old president, so after President Trump was elected, President Obama was still president in from November to January eighteenth He was still really in power. He was a we call him lame duck president at that point. He was a declining power, but he was still in charge of the country. He was still making decisions he was still he was still ordering sending out packages, drones and doing all, all, all those of, kinds yeah. of things so the president was so during that transition period between one president to another, the old president is still in power until that new president takes office and is sworn in. And during that period, what the new president or the new administration is doing is he's getting together his staff team. He's hiring people who's gonna be on my administration, he's setting his policies, he's setting his agenda, he's getting ready to rule and he's letting everybody know, this is how I'm going to run the country. So for us, the analogy is we're the church. We are the transition team for President Jesus. The Mm -hmm. powers of this world, the governments, all the systems of this world are still really in charge. They have real power. Their sword, they can still, they have laws, they can enact it, they can kill people. They're still really in charge. But our message to the world system is you you need to get ready to transition for President Jesus. Because he's coming back, and he is actually the real ruler of the cosmos. And we're telling you how he wants to run things when he's here. And we're telling you like it's a totally different way than the systems that you're working on. So we're just here. We're not going to resist you. We're not going to rebel against you. We're here to serve you. We're here to, to love you because we serve the new, the new president. And the new president is coming. And he's going to be very, very different than the way you do things. So we're going to show you how he does things now. So in other words, we're living as though President Jesus has already taken office, even though we're somewhere between November and January. don't know where. I'm not going to go into that. But the point is, we're still in the transition period. So this is why there's that weird tension. Like, the powers of, because sometimes it's like, well, what did Jesus actually accomplish? Things are still pretty bad out there. Well, he, no, he is, he's in charge. But he's coming into his rule. The fullness of his rule and reign will come when he returns to the earth. And so that has really helped me to, like, shift my mindset of how both do I respond to governments right now and how do I prepare the earth for the coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and how do we, to we do. want
0: to invest our time and invest our money and invest our life? Yes. Do we want to invest in the old administration that's on its way out? Do we want to invest in the lame duck systems of this world? Or do we want to invest in the kingdom of heaven that's coming? And it's about to be here. It's already here, but it's coming in its fullness. And Jesus is constantly like, invest in the kingdom of heaven, folks. Invest in the kingdom of heaven. Not only is investing in the kingdom of this world totally pointless. Because it's all going away. Every currency, including Facebook currency, will (laughs) be gone. Not only is it going away, but what is coming is eternal. It's way better to invest in forever than it is to invest in now, which is definitely not going to last. It's not going to last not only because you're going to be dead, but even for leaving things for your great, 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 great grandkids, eventually this world system will be done. And I'm not just just talking about money. I'm talking about time and life and everything
1: else. What are we investing in,
0: this kingdom or the kingdom to come?
1: Um, And it raises up a lot of other interesting questions about How much can the systems or structures of this world be redeemed or helped to transition into the new creation when Jesus returns, right? We see in Revelation 21 and 22, there are still nations. Uh After Jesus returns, the new Jerusalem, heaven and earth are merged. There are still nations and tribes and tongues coming in. So there's still something of this world and system that remains post-return of Jesus, which is... Kind of an interesting thought for many people, but actually that should give all of us a lot of hope because everything that you're pouring into the United States, something of the United States still lives on uh-huh. past the return of Christ. We don't know exactly what. We only have images. We don't have great like blueprints of exactly what that's going to look like, but human culture extends beyond the return of Christ, Right. which sometimes we don't think about that. Sometimes we just think about going to heaven and then we just kind of disconnect well, And there's but. this
0: weird idea That like in heaven every, Everything is the same We have no color No gender no, no language No culture It's like none of that's true It's all very clear in scripture That we still have Our individuality every tribe and tongue it doesn't mean we won't all speak another language that we can all understand maybe or something i don't know how, how it'll work but there's still going to be different languages different cultures and we all present our glory to jesus that means there's something in every culture that is beautiful and that is wonderful and that will remain won't get burned up um, in the judgment and so loving america or loving japan or loving whatever country it is that you love or multiple countries that's a good thing that's not a bad thing I'm not saying that's the kingdom of this world, don't invest in that. But I am saying where we invest within that patriotism and within that love is something we should ask ourselves.
1: And and it brings up other, it's helpful to, if you feel out of sorts in this world, it's because you're living from the future. Right, The presence of the future has already come in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom. You're a citizen of the kingdom. So you're living as though the future has already come. So you're going to be out of step with this world. Or that's just going to happen because you're already living like Jesus is ruling. So of course you're going to be out of step with this world. It also helps us to have like a mindset of, and this seems to be what Paul had too, the clash between the present age and the age to come, old creation, new creation, that seems to be where Paul is getting the persecution and the suffering. He, didn't, he wasn't surprised that there was a clash of kingdoms, as we yep. mentioned earlier, because, of course, the kingdom of darkness is being perpetually destroyed, so there's pushback.
0: Right. They're not just going to roll over and say, oh, you're right. We were wrong this whole time. Jesus is the king. They're going to be like, no, we hate you. We're going to try to kill you as much as we can. And so expanding the kingdom is not easy. It takes, it takes work. Jesus said the kingdom of God is advanced violently. And the violent take the kingdom by force. And again, that is not violence against humans. That is violence in the spirit. Some people don't like talk of violence. We're not talking about bloodshed. Again, we don't. our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. The violence is against the devil and the systems of the devil. We should be violent towards poverty. We should hate it. We should want to see it end. We should say, I am not going to give up until um, extreme poverty is eradicated from earth. That is expanding the kingdom of God. And we're not going to give up until we see that happen. We're not going to give up until the Twin Cities is the least racist place in America. Where people come here and say, teach us how to love each other better. I'm not going to give up until the Twin Cities is that. And that takes violence. Against the
1: enemy, not against people. And to go back to your question about the governments, I actually think part of the role of believers in current systems, governments, whatever institution you're in, we are actually a form of deliverance for that system. Yeah. Like, we're casting out the darkness of that system. Because Colossians says that all things, all rules, all authorities, all powers, were made through him and for him. Mm -hmm. So there is a sense in which all systems, all rules of powers, however it looks, they will be redeemed, and they have a godly purpose. All governments have a godly purpose. It, and yep. they're, at this point, they're like temporary stewards, basically, and God will judge them based on how well they stewarded the authority that they have. And that's another of our message, which seems to be the message that Daniel and Joseph <coughs> have, which is you are not the ultimate authority. <laughs> like, your power ultimately derives from God. And when he returns, he will evaluate you. On how well you actually exercised the authority that you had, O oh, kings of the earth. Yes. Right? That's going to be the judgment that
0: they and will And that's be where under. it talks about separating nations and goats versus sheep kind of nations.
1: Is How well did you steward what I gave you? And that deliverance that we're doing on systems, it explains the oppression that, that is happening in the world. Because sometimes the fact that people are succeeding in the world, like, you may not want to be succeeding in certain systems because systems are corrupt or they're infused with dark power or I mean first John says the evil one is the ruler of the world Paul calls Satan the god of this age like sometimes the fact that you're actually succeeding in this present system might not be a good thing because it might be built on institutional you might be perpetuating
0: this system as right? opposed to the
1: kingdom of so, God oh. something to think about but
0: My official opinion is that if there is a rapture, I would like to be a part of it. And that is the end Uh, of my official position on all that. Honestly, I don't know and I don't know that it matters
1: to us right now. It'll probably (laughs) matter to us then if we're there. Yeah, that's, that's punt number I, one. I'm going to punt number two. Um, Thousand-year reign, lots of ways to look at it. Some say it's the age of the church right now. Some yes. say it's a literal reign when Christ returns as an intermediate stage. Those are those are some other. There's a bunch of I, other perspectives. I think too. that in the
0: context of what we're talking about today as the kingdom of God, the millennial reign is now. I think, I think that best sense. describes the age of the church in what's happening, in my opinion. But I don't know. And I don't. I've never felt compelled to figure it out or care, personally, because I would rather see the Muslims come to Christ next door than figure out what's going to happen to me in a thousand years. But that's me.
1: This framework for me has been really helpful, especially when things get dark or there's there's bad news or you're seeing things just, um, just not go well, either in your life or in, in, a, in a country that, hey... The fullness of the kingdom of God will come on the earth. Like, Jesus started the project, and he's going to finish it. He's yes. going to fix everything that's wrong in this world. Those are my boys. That's one Caleb, so we're good. Um, so that's been a very hopeful perspective, especially being out in, in Washington, D.C., um, as you're, you're in the swirl of government um, and all that. And having a bigger perspective on the kingdom, I definitely needed it before I went out to D.C., But it's also, like, made me think of the kingdom as the kingdom isn't just the church. The kingdom isn't just, like, principles. Uh It's not just obeying the law. It's not just doing good things. It's not just, like, the church expanding. It's way bigger and broader than that. It's, like, the best of human intentions, the best of human ideals, the best of human philosophy, the best of human systems are just, like, mere glimpses of what the fullness of the kingdom is going to be. Uh And we get four tastes of it now, like awesome worship services, awesome prayer services, awesome times of community and fellowship and love. Like those are just glimpses of like little tokens of what the kingdom of God is going to be when it's fully here. Uh Right, Dad. Right. Right. Jesus
0: could come back next Thursday. Um, during the fair. That would make sense to me. Um, or he could come back in another 2,000 years.
1: Yeah, so, so the question yeah, for those 2, 000, of you... It's been 2,000. It could easily be 2,000 more. For those of you who didn't hear, the question was about dates on the return of Jesus. And um, for me, I'm like, well, I know these are my last days because I only have so many. So these are my end exactly. times no matter what, right? I am like, in my end time. <laughs> like I'm, This I morning I woke up and my back hurt and I knew I was in my end
0: days. <laughs> So that's, that's what matters to me. Yep. Yeah. And I do want to point out Matt's sons, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who saw with eyes that of heaven of the kingdom and not with eyes of earth. That story where they send the 12 spies into the land and Joshua and Caleb are the two that say, yeah, there's these giants and they have huge swords and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? There's all, the, all this awesome stuff. And God said that stuff is ours. So I'm pumped and I'm excited. And all these bad guys in the way, they don't mean anything. Because God's going to give us victory over that. And that's why he named them Joshua and Caleb. Um, and because he's spies, right? spies. Spies are cool. Um, but, uh, but like, and that is important to me. Joshua and Caleb saw with different eyes. And we need to see with different eyes. We need to see with eyes of the kingdom, with God's eyes, to see that, no, no, no. It's not all this bad stuff going on. It's God in the process of fixing this bad stuff. And he's going to use me to help with that. So it's a perspective issue. Because it is easy to look around and be tempted to be discouraged when we see this world. And when we do that, I think we should come to before the Lord and say, please help me to see things with your eyes and with your perspective. And How long was it between when they saw and when uh, it was fulfilled? It was the whole, wasn't it the whole 40 years? So I guess my point being, yeah, once our eyes are open
1: to yep. see the kingdom
0: that we yep. still don't get caught up in all the crap the world throws out of us. Yes. Yes. sometimes it's even holding on the people that you would have expected to join your chorus and sure. while things seem to be getting worse yeah, exactly. that's called faithfulness yeah. yep. that's what faithfulness looks like yep. and if it were easy we would all do it all the time
1: they did was really powerful. It's not easy to talk about this kingdom because it is so big. I really like what they did. And it could be at a high school campus or it could be at any seminary in the city. So I'm I really liking
0: what you've done. I think it's powerful. The kids got relieved. So Kaylee wanted to stay in because Uncle Matt was here and I'm like I think you're going to be bored, sweetie. It's going to be a little... It's a little heavy this morning. Um, Matt and I are starting a new podcast cr- to do a th- quick commercial at the end yeah. where we are going to be doing this kind of stuff, yep. um, talking yep. about bigger issues, slightly tougher issues, um, and also talking about extremely nerdy things like, do clones have souls and will they go to heaven if they love Jesus? And what does the Bible have to say about aliens when they show up? How are we going to respond to that? Um, I'm serious. We're talking about these things. Um,
1: then, so if you're at all interested or think you, you know someone who would. And just one more practical takeaway from the kingdom, already not yet. This will really help you when you read the New Testament. Because yes. the already not yet is all over the New Testament of who we are right now in Christ, but who we're becoming and will be at the fullness of the resurrection. So we are dead to sin already, but we're learning to crucify the flesh and to say no to sin. Yep. Right. So we, we are and we're becoming. It's both. Um, It'll also help you to see how New Testament authors see Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy. There's a present fulfillment in the New Testament, and there's a final fulfillment that will come at the end of history.
0: Right. And it helps in reading the New Testament to understand that warfare is in the background of all of their minds as they lived and wrote in the New Testament. We are at war. The reason the Jesus story is so amazing and fantastic is that was where the tide turned in the war. And historically we will look back if that is the point at which it changed. So I know that talking about war and violence and those kind of things isn't popular these days, but the minute we don't acknowledge the fact that we're in a war is the minute we start to lose. Because even those without swords can still die upon them. And that that is why a lot of our church is so not powerful right now, is because they refuse to fight. Passive. Yeah, God didn't call us into passivity. He he told us, look, you're in a war whether you like it or not. Do you want to fight and help other people and survive, or do you not want to? And that's a choice we have to make. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish we could be on vacation. But we're not. We're in a war, and it only lasts a few more years. It'll last a few more for me, and a few more than that for Andrew. But that's it. So we get to be in war for a while, and then we get a nice long break afterwards. That'll be nice. Okay, let's let's pray. Let's pray and then eat some yummy food. Father, we thank you for sending your son to invade enemy territory for us, because we couldn't do it on our own. And you did it. You took the beachhead. And we thank you for that. And now we're in this war and we don't always know how to fight. We don't always know what it means. Sometimes we're um, ignorant of how the enemy likes to attack us and we don't have to be. So I pray, Lord, that you would help give us the mind of Christ. Help us not to be ignorant of the way the enemy attacks. Help us to see others not as enemies, but as POWs, as people who've who've been taken by the enemy. They've been brainwashed and they need to be set free, Lord. Help us to fulfill the calling that you gave us to uh, proclaim freedom to those captives.
1: And thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Spirit, for being poured out. Thank you for moving among us. And we just thank you that the fullness of the kingdom will come. That all wrongs are going to be made right. as your kingdom will fully come, your mm-hmm. will will fully fully be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we look forward to that day.
0: Amen. Amen.